It's been fun to join together the last couple months on how to interpret the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible. And today we, we end with talking about the Gospels, a section of Scripture near and dear to my heart. We just finished teaching through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospels are, are a marvelous way to study the life of Christ, the discipleship of Christ. And they also are, are things that we, there are things that we need to be aware of, good and bad, and um, just how to approach the Gospels, how to understand narrative, how to be careful not to just pick and choose everything that I want for my life and say, okay, this story, I am Jesus, or I am this person, because that's just what we want to do, but to actually take the, the point of the passage and learn what God would have us learn rather than get out of it what we want to get out of it. So, we're going to dive right in and, and get through the material. Um, the Gospels are the central point of Scripture. If you didn't get a handout, there's handouts in the back. Anyone already in here that didn't get a handout for, for this one? Um, Phil, we have um, a couple up here and one back there that did not get handouts. Sarah and Jacob up there, back there, over here. <laughs> Sorry, and Jeanette back there, right? My eyes are... <laughs> little blurry back there. The Gospels are the central point of Scripture. I don't mean if you open your Bible to the midpoint, that poof, there's the Gospels. That's Psalms. That, that's the midpoint. But the, um, the central point of Scripture, meaning this is what the Old Testament is looking toward and leading up to, is the life of Christ. And the rest of the New Testament is discussing the implications of the life of Christ and His death on the cross and resurrection in our lives. And so this is the central point of Scripture. And so this must take good study. And it's something to read regularly and to ingest in our spiritual lives regularly. Um, it's also an area that we can misinterpret. With narrative, like I just said, we can interpret everything to be about me. The Gospels are not about you. The Gospels are about who? Jesus. Primarily Jesus. Now, as we learn about Jesus, He wants to mold our lives and transform us into His likeness, right? And so, it's about us only in terms of what God wants to do in my life. And usually that's a painful process as He, as he refines and tears away sin and, and things and makes me more like Him. But the Gospels are about Jesus. I'd like to do just a, a brief exercise. And um, I need four volunteers. I got one. Awesome. Okay, two. Jenna, come on up. Bob, come on up. AJ, come on up. Okay, if you guys could just sit here for a minute. Um, Fred, in um, two minutes or less, can you tell us about your Christmas? Yes. You guys might want to listen. Please, please go ahead. Throw things at you again. Uh, let's see. Went to my brother's for Christmas Eve and to my in-laws for Christmas Day. And we met with family in both places. Okay. Talk to your kids at all? Talk to family at all that are out of town? Yes. 
You can give me a little bit more. <laughs> uh, talk to both Sarah and Rebecca, and they spend Christmas together. Oh, that's great. With Rebecca in Texas. So, and they got to see... So Sarah went down to Rebecca. Yeah. And then he got to see the in-laws there in Buffalo Gap, Texas. So Ooh. What in-laws do you have in Texas? Okay, because her parents don't live there anymore, right? No. They okay. Okay, okay. Any traditions that you guys did for Christmas? Just getting you ready for ordination. <laughs> Not this Christmas. Okay. Because you guys are getting ready to go and go to the mission field. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, Jenna, I'm going to have you start. Gentlemen, I'd like you to leave. Okay, Jenna, can you tell us um, about Fred's Christmas? He went to his brothers for Christmas Eve, and then he went to his in-laws for Christmas Day, and got to see a bunch of family, got to talk to a bunch of people, got to talk to Rebecca and Sarah, and Sarah went down to Rebecca for Christmas, and they spent Christmas together at Cinda's sister's house. Okay, awesome. Give her a hand. You can go back to your seat. Great. Okay, bring in one of the other um, victim. I mean, volunteers. Okay, can you tell us about Fred's Christmas? Um, it was important for Fred to be with family and to talk to his daughters. And so he, uh, he spent um, part of it with uh, his in-laws and part of it with his brother. Okay, great. Anything else? Was that good? Um, and he talked to, talked to both daughters on the phone. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, bring in the next one. There is method for my madness here. AJ, I hope you can survive. I have no one. Just stand right here next to me. Can you tell me about Fred's Christmas? On Christmas Eve, he went to his... <laughs> okay, I, I couldn't remember either. Okay, that's all you got? No, no. <laughs> he had Christmas with his in-laws. Uh, and they spent time talking to family. The Sarah and Rebecca spent Christmas together. Sarah came down to Rebecca in Buffalo Gap, Texas. Nice, nice. And there, he was preparing for ordination and getting ready to go to the missions field. It's not really Christmas, but <laughs> <laughs> that's part. Of, that's, that's the whole reason for Christmas. That's the result of Christmas. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay. Last one, please. Hi, Chris. You're going to tell us about Fred's Christmas. So just come here and tell us about Fred's Christmas. Well, I can tell you about it in two minutes. And I went to my brother's on Christmas Eve and my in-laws on Christmas Day. And I got to talk to my family in both times. And I talked to... Rachel and Rebecca, <laughs> uh, and they are went to Rebecca's house in Texas, Buffalo Gap, Texas, and uh, we didn't do as many traditions as normal, kind of, because we're kind of gearing up to go missions, so there is, wasn't so many traditions. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah.
Thank you for playing along. I know that's on the spot and, and two minute drill. What did you guys notice in the different accounts? His was first person, a completely different style, wasn't it? Same, but four different stories. A couple of you mentioned that. They all said the same thing, but different words, and they focus on different parts. They focus on different... What did Bob focus on? The importance of spending time with family. The importance of spending time with family. And that theme ran through everything he shared, didn't it? That was, that was neat. Anyone else? What did you notice? Yes, yeah, so, so some got the names of the city, the details, some were on more of the general themes. What was that? First person, a different style. Jana got it word, all the words. Yeah, she was very good. It's amazing how four different people can tell the same story and you get different flavors, you get different themes. Were they all correct? Other than. Rachel, it's Sarah and Rebecca, but you haven't gotten to spend a lot of time with them, so that, that's understandable. Um, that's, I love that illustration to help us understand why four Gospels. Why do we have four different books that all talk about the story of Jesus Christ? Um, number one, it's the central point, like we said, but it gives us different themes and different understandings, different flavors of what's going on. And so we have four different points of view, all inspired, all accurate, but we, we come to each of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John understanding that each of the authors is coming at it from a different perspective and a different theme. A couple things to remember, and we'll, we'll fly through some of these. The Gospels are written about the same person, Jesus, and so they all work together to give us a well-rounded view of who Jesus is. They cover both the teachings of Jesus and the stories about Jesus. And as you read through the, the Gospels, it's important to understand what are the teachings of Jesus, what are stories about him. You'll approach those differently. The teachings of Jesus, you'll approach very similar to the epistles. The stories about Jesus, you'll approach as a narrative. And so the, the focus of the Gospels is on Jesus. Each Gospel is written by a different author with different purpose and audience in mind. Different themes are stressed. And so two words that help us understand that. Selection and arrangement. Selection and arrangement. No author could put every detail of Jesus' life in a gospel. In fact, what did one of the authors say about that? If he did... Yeah, there's, there's not enough space in, in the world for that. And so... They had to choose, pick and choose the material that they put in the gospel. All of it true, but they chose depending on the theme that God had inspired and put on their hearts. So that's selection. Arrangement. Sometimes the arrangements are, are geared around certain teachings. Sometimes they're geared chronologically, but they are not necessarily chronological. They're sometimes arranged by theme. That's important to understand. Sometimes people look at the difference in order and say, Ah, well, even in, in our little example, there were some differences in order. People jumped back and forth depending on what they were focusing on. And the authors did the same thing. That, that is not an inaccuracy. That's an author's tool to, to expand on a theme. Um, we have differences and similarities. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They share a lot of material. They read very similarly. John is very different and as he's focusing on who is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. 
And there are other, other things, differences there with theme. Luke is focusing on Jesus as the Son of Man. Mark is the suffering servant. Matthew is the king. But those are some general observations. But we get into, okay, how do we read the gospel? Some practical, the practical process for reading the gospels. And this is the same pattern that we've used. Observation, interpretation, and application. Observation asks the question, what do I see? And a lot of the same questions we've gone over are the questions you ask. Ask the standard questions. Who, what, where, and when? And so I want to focus on maybe the differences in the Gospels. When you read the Gospels, you want to look for connections to other stories or teachings around the passage. Look at what precedes the story and what follows it. Remember, the author is telling a story, communicating a theme, and so he has chosen to put these events together in this order for a reason. So it's always helpful to say, okay, what's right before this? What's right after it? What do they have in common? That's part of the observation process. Also look for special literary forms. Exaggeration. Do we ever use exaggeration to make a point? Never in a million years would I use exaggeration to make a point. Right? That's, that's not new to us. And so we, we see that throughout Scripture. And Jesus sometimes used that because the, the Jewish mind used that to make a point. And so you have Matthew 5, 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now most of us still have our right eyes. And so we, we're, we're disobedient. No, Jesus is using a figure of speech, an exaggerated figure of speech, to show how important it is to avoid sin at all costs. And so that's, a, that's an illustration of exaggeration that you would want to note as you're studying the passage. Um, Mark 10, 24 and 25, looking at verse 25 is a good example. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And, and a whole lot of people have tried to make this not an exaggeration. Well, there was this gate that might have been called the eye of a needle and a camel would have had to kneel to go through it. The problem is that didn't exist in Jesus' time. He's saying it's really hard to get a big animal through something that's that small. He's using exaggeration as a figure of speech to make a point of how impossible it is for man to save themselves. We cannot do it. Look for irony. You can read the whole Luke 12 passage sometime, but it's, it's the rich man that basically says, I have enough, I'm not going to share with anyone um, what I have, and so he builds more barns, and he is going to relax and eat and drink and take care of himself, and then he dies. And God says, this night your soul is required of you. So the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. And there's irony there that a man who thought his life was put together by his own hand actually lost everything. Take notice of things like that. Um, finally, rhetorical questions. Do we sometimes use rhetorical questions? Yes, we do. And, sorry. Uh, um, Jesus did, did as well. Matthew 5.46 For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? He's talking about that if God only loves those that love him, what's the point of that? But no, he loves the, the sinners as well, and, and um, we should do the same. Rhetorical questions always are focusing in on a point. 
And so you want to notice that there's a rhetorical question and say, okay, that is a specific point that Jesus is trying to drive home into their hearts. So in the observation phase, make sure you look at those things. The interpretation phase is where we start to try to understand the passage. And this, again, remember to take passages as one story, pericope we might call them, that you you take one whole section at a time and study that section. But you look before it and after it. In the interpretation, try to narrow down the main point for each story or section. There may be more than one point, but often there's one main point. There's clues in the context about it, usually. There's clues in the storytelling. Where is the turning point in the story? What are the events that the author keeps bringing up that are going to be a surprise in the story? Those help you understand the main point of each story or section. Number two there. Because the Gospels and Acts are narratives, pay attention to the broader context when reading. We've already mentioned that and talked about that, but you want to understand what's going on around it. Um, Look at the events before and after. The passage that you'll be doing um, as groups today is Jesus' calming of the storm. And it's not about that Jesus wants to calm the storms in our lives. It's not the point of the passage. It's about Jesus, not about us. Now, he does comfort us, but if you look at the sequence, he's just been arguing with the Pharisees about issues of authority. And they're saying, by what authority do you do these things? We think your authority is from Satan. Which is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to ascribe the work of God to Satan. And so that, and so then Jesus starts to talk in parables so they don't understand. And, and he's condemning them as he's doing this. And we get to this story. And that's important to understand that sequence because that story is about the authority of Christ and where his authority comes from. Just as the next few stories are. Mark has put those together on purpose. And so that's where the context helps us understand what is going on. Um, so look at those things. Each, uh, number three, the Gospels demand some background information regarding history and culture. We're removed from their culture. We don't understand some of the things. We need to do some research. I encourage things like background commentaries. The Zondervan Bible Backgrounds Commentaries is a great series to give you cultural insights, Bible encyclopedias. Because we don't understand how strong their group identity was, that you never, never went against the group. Honor and shame as opposed to punishment. That they had this value that if you did something wrong, you shamed the whole group or you shamed your family. Um, the, The strength of the family relationships, the social structures. And so once we start to understand that, we can start to understand things like when Jesus' family comes to him and says, we think you've gone crazy, that's huge. That's more than if my mom and dad come to me and say that they think I've gone crazy, which they have. But uh, for them, the issue was shame on the family. This was a cultural value that they held dear, and for his family to actually call him out publicly on it, this was huge. And then Jesus redefines who his family is, and it's those that are that have accepted him and that are pursuing him in discipleship. We we miss that if we don't understand the the culture. With four different gospels, compare the various gospel accounts when appropriate. Think both horizontally and vertically. That's how I, I like to think of it. Horizontally says when I take a story, 
I look this way and say, do any of the other Gospels talk about this story? You can get, get insights into that. Insights of details that aren't in this account. You get insights into what your author is stressing by noticing the differences in other stories. We noticed what Bob was stressing because the other people didn't stress that as much. Same is true by comparing with other um, Gospels. But the warning in that is, is if that's all you do, you miss the theme of what the Holy Spirit inspired Luke or Mark or Matthew or John to write. And so you also have to think vertically, which says, within this gospel, what's the theme and how does it point to Jesus? What is this gospel telling us about Jesus? Every time you read a story in the gospel, you should have that in mind. What is this author trying to tell us about Jesus? It's about learning who he is and following the master. Five, understand the centrality of the kingdom of God in the Gospels. This is a a huge issue that we've taught on several times in different contexts that I'm just going to briefly talk about. Don, if you can put that slide up there. I think I put the slide in your notes as well. Two different views. The top view is the Jewish mindset of what the kingdom was. The bottom view is the mindset or, or what Jesus taught. And the Jews thought they were in this age, the sinful age here on earth. The Messiah comes, sin is dealt with, and we're now in the messianic age, the kingdom. Kingdom of God forever. So they, that's why they were looking for a Messiah to come and kick the Romans out. Destroy them. That was their whole mindset. When Jesus came, he introduced the, the, the bottom portion, which is what we would call an already or and not yet view of the kingdom. Because we have pre-Christ, life on earth with sin as we know it. Then we have the first coming, Jesus Christ at Christmas and then dying on the cross. And that begins the kingdom of God in the lives of those that believe in him. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of God now. That's the already. Is this world perfect? No, that's the not yet. God is using us to bring people to him. And then at his second coming... He will fully deal with sin and the kingdom will be fully seen. And we're in that in-between time right now. So this is what Jesus taught and the rest of the New Testament teaches. That's important in understanding the disciples' reactions to things. We might say, well, how foolish. They thought he was going to kick out the Romans. Of course he wasn't. They had no clue of the bottom chart. Their only frame of reference was the top chart. And so when Mark says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, yes, the kingdom of God is at hand. We're going to see a bloodbath here, God's justice, His wrath, and we're going to be free. And that's why they were disappointed. Because Jesus was working on a different timetable. Finally, number six, parables were often used to make one specific point. Don't miss it. When you get to the parables in in the New Testament, don't try to make every character mean something. Parables are a story Jesus used to primarily make one point. Learn that point. Um, That's very, very important. So that's a number of things in the interpretation. We need to... um, I'll I'll fill in your blanks on application, then we're going to split up and try it with a, a Mark passage. Look for the eternal and the cross-cultural and application. See how Jesus teaches and demonstrates the kingdom. 
Secondly, look for examples of how to live a Christ-like life, both through Jesus and the disciples. Sometimes the disciples were a good example of that. Sometimes the disciples were a poor example of that. Understand by Jesus' response which it is and learn from that. Finally, pay attention to how Jesus discipled and be discipled by him. We talk a lot about discipleship and discipling each other. Well, remember, the point is that God is discipling us through each other. I don't want imitators of me. I want imitators of Christ. And so by going back to the Gospels, we see the picture of Christ that we're to be imitating. You and I aren't the master. Jesus is. And so the the Gospels are an opportunity to come under his teachings. And so it is appropriate to ask, what does this teach us about discipleship and how to live?